Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast, a part of the Agora Podcast Network. I am your host, Heather Tesco, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and being more deeply in touch with our own humanity. Today, we are exploring the tumultuous and dramatic relationship between Elizabeth I and the ambitious and impulsive Robert Devereux, second Earl of Essex. Their complex relationship was characterized by favor, disappointment, and ultimately rebellion. Through the lens of their entangled histories, we gain insights into the turbulent politics and intriguing personal dynamics of the Elizabethan court. Elizabeth was the daughter of Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn, of course, and took the throne in 1558, ushering in the golden age of everything in English history. Golden age of music, golden age of art, just golden age. She was known for her formidable intelligence, her political acumen, and her determination to rule independently, refusing to share her throne with a husband. Essex, on the other hand, was a man of great charm and courage, but also volatility and rashness. His meteoric rise and tragic fall in the court of Elizabeth I paints a vivid picture of the perilous nature of favor of the Tudor court. Before we get started, though, your reminder about TudorCon! There are still tickets to come in person, but you are running out of time. Last-minute procrastination, friends? I hear you, and I see you, and I validate your last-minuteness. I am with you. But I do need to order supplies and confirm numbers in the next couple of weeks, so it's getting to be go time. I think I'm going to cut off ticket sales uh, probably around August 10th. It's kind of nebulous in my head, but it's probably going to be around August 10th, like a month beforehand, that I'm going to cut off the ticket sales. So, again, if you haven't heard this yet, TudorCon is three days of Tudor learning from leading bloggers, historians, podcasters, Feasting, new friendships in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. We have it in a beautiful restored barn on the grounds, right next to the grounds of the Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair. Um, you can go to englandcast.com slash TudorCon to learn more. And for those who really can't come in person but want to come online, you can go to englandcast.com slash TudorCon online for the streaming ticket. So, of course, you don't have a deadline with the streaming ticket. You can buy that all the way up until the weekend. But if you want to come in person, your time is running out. The clock is ticking, tick, tick, tick. So englandcast.com slash TudorCon to learn more about coming in person. I also want to thank the newest patrons of this podcast, Paula and Kim. Thank you so much for your support. Patrons get special patron-only episodes 
This week, it was a tour of Tudor York. And there's also special chats. You get free books, all kinds of things I'm adding to patrons of the show. So if you would like to support the show for as little as a dollar and get extra episodes, chats with experts, all kinds of extra stuff, just go to patreon.com slash englandcast. Again, that's patreon.com slash englandcast to learn more. And again, thank you to Kim and Paula, the newest patrons of this show. Let's talk about Robert Devereux. He was born in November 1565 to Walter Devereux, first Earl of Essex, and his wife, Latisse Knowles. Essex's childhood was spent in rural tranquility of Chartley Castle in Staffordshire. After the death of his father in 1576, young Essex became the second Earl of Essex, inheriting large estates in Wales and Ireland. Raised under the care of his strong-willed and politically astute mother, Essex had a privileged upbringing. His mother was an interesting figure herself, once a maid of honor to Queen Elizabeth and a close friend. She had fallen out of favor after secretly marrying Elizabeth's true love, Robert Dudley, Earl of Leicester. The marriage deeply hurt Elizabeth, leading to Latisse being banished from court. Despite the rift, Essex received a quality education, typical of a young nobleman. He studied at Trinity College, Cambridge, where he was exposed to the era's humanist principles, honing his mind for the political intrigues to come. In 1584, he took his seat in the House of Lords. The same year, his stepfather, Robert Dudley, played a significant role in bringing him to court. Elizabeth's deep affection for Dudley gave Essex a significant advantage. Dudley's influence, coupled with the Queen's fond memories of Latisse before her fall from favor, created a path for Essex in the royal circle. Essex, armed with charm and ambition, quickly made an impression on Queen Elizabeth. He was around 20 years old, full of youthful vigor and audacity, traits that the aging queen in her 50s found engaging. His courtly manners, good looks, and lineage appealed to Elizabeth, sparking a fascinating relationship that would oscillate between favor, disappointment, and rebellion. The young earl's enthusiasm and courage struck a chord with Elizabeth, who saw in him a reflection of her own youthful determination. However, the volatile character traits that made Essex charming were also sources of friction. His rashness and tendency to overstep his role became recurring issues in their relationship. Yet these early years marked the beginning of a deep, albeit tumultuous, bond that significantly shaped both their lives and the course of English history. Today we will trace the trajectory of this relationship marked by soaring favor, the sting of disapproval, and the flames of rebellion. This complex narrative reveals as much about Queen Elizabeth as it does about Robert Devereux. He was nothing short of a character study in contrast. He was brave, charming, and energetic qualities that won him favor in Elizabeth's court. His vivacious spirit and youthful bravado were refreshing and captivating to the aging queen who saw in him a vibrant embodiment of the bold spirit of her reign. His charisma and courage were particularly evident in his military exploits. A fearless soldier, he fought with distinction in the Spanish Armada's defeat and later led campaigns in France, Ireland, and Spain. His boldness on the battlefield reinforced his image as a daring hero in the eyes of Elizabeth and many at court. Yet the very qualities that endeared him to Elizabeth were also sources of conflict. His hot-headedness and impulsive nature often led him to overstep his role as a courtier. He was known to be outspoken and rash, at times actually challenging the queen's decisions, even in public. 
His audacious character, while initially appealing, began to clash with Elizabeth's more calculated and diplomatic approach to governance. He could be disrespectful and challenging, creating a strain in their relationship. The 1590s marked the peak of his favorite court. As the new decade dawned, Essex was widely seen as one of the most influential figures of the realm. The Queen had granted him numerous offices and honors, including the prestigious appointment as the Earl Marshal of England. He enjoyed an unparalleled level of access to the Queen and wielded a degree of influence that led many to view him as Elizabeth's unofficial favorite. He was also entrusted with vital military responsibilities. In 1591, he was given command of an English force sent to assist the Protestant Henry IV of France. This was followed by his appointment as Lord Lieutenant of Ireland in 1599, a significant position in light of the ongoing Nine Years' War. However, his fall from grace was as swift as his rise to power. His arrogance, coupled with a series of military and political missteps, led to his downfall. And even his charming courage could not save him from the consequences of his rashness and disregard for the Queen's authority. Six's military campaign in Ireland proved to be a turning point in his relationship with the Queen. The expedition was a disaster. He failed to suppress the Irish rebellion led by Hugh O'Neill, the Earl of Tyrone. Instead of confronting Tyrone's forces in a decisive battle, he made a truce without the Queen's approval, a critical political blunder. Frustrated and embarrassed, he made the rash decision to return to England without royal permission. This defiance was an affront to the Queen and a breach of the strict rules of conduct at court. His unauthorized return, his failure in Ireland, and his presumption in making a truce without the Queen's consent were all perceived as very serious offenses. Despite this, he hoped to salvage the situation and regain the Queen's favor, but his behavior upon his return only exacerbated his predicament. He burst into the Queen's private chambers unannounced in a state of disarray, hoping to plead his case directly. Elizabeth, shocked and displeased, she was found, you know, apparently without her makeup, she wasn't fully dressed. She was absolutely just mortified, placed him under house arrest. His favor at court was rapidly waning. His failures in Ireland, his defiance of the Queen, and his blatant disregard for court etiquette marked a clear downturn in his relationship with Elizabeth. The Queen was disappointed and angry with him, and his enemies at court used this opportunity to push for his complete downfall. In 1600, Essex was tried before the Star Chamber a court composed of privy councillors and common law judges. He was stripped of his public offices and was ordered to withdraw from court, a public humiliation that was a severe blow to his pride. Humiliated and desperate, he started plotting his return to power. These plans culminated in the ill-fated Essex Rebellion, a desperate attempt to regain what he had lost. However, the rebellion was a catastrophic failure that led to Essex's final downfall. So here we have Robert Devereux, completely hitting rock bottom in 1601. His influence, status, and wealth had been severely diminished. However, he was not one to be easily subdued. He began to plot a rebellion intending to seize control of the court, compel the queen to alter the government, and reclaim his lost status. This is just not a good idea. Like, this is just, this is just never a good idea, you guys. So he gathered around him a group of disaffected nobles and followers, including his young stepbrother, the Earl of Southampton. His plans were underpinned by a misguided belief that he retained a significant popularity among the English populace and that the London citizens would actually rise up in support when called upon. Again, 
probably a really bad judgment on his part. His scheme took shape as a palace coup rather than a national rebellion. He intended to gain access to the queen and then, by controlling her, take control of the government. It was a plan born of desperation and miscalculation, resting on flawed assumptions that, first, he would be more popular than he was, and second, that the queen's authority could be so easily undermined. So in early 1601, he started to fortify his house, his mansion on the Strand, and he gathered his followers. On February 8th, he marched out of his home with a party of his followers, nobles, and gentlemen, some who, incidentally, would be later involved in the gunpowder plot, and he entered the city in an attempt to force an audience with the queen. The reality of what he expected fell drastically short. Far from rallying behind him, the citizens remained in their homes and the city's authorities mobilized to impose him. He was immediately declared a traitor. They put up some barriers. It all fell apart very quickly. The rebellion's failure was a resounding demonstration of Elizabeth's continuing authority and the loyalty she commanded. The hapless Essex, along with some of his key followers, were arrested and imprisoned in the Tower of London. The rebellion was a spectacular misjudgment on Essex's part. He underestimated the queen, he overestimated his public popularity, and he did not understand the loyalties of the court. Following the failed rebellion, he was tried before a special court of his peers, including his arch-rival, Robert Cecil, who was one of the first ones to declare him a traitor during the rebellion. He was charged with treason, a serious crime punishable by death. His desperate rebellion and affront to the crown and the state had brought him to this grim juncture. His defense was built around the idea of provocation. He argued that his actions were prompted by fears for his own life, an argument that carried little weight given the evidence of his clear intent to seize control of the queen and government. On February 19th, just 11 days after his rebellion. I want to say rebellion in quotes because it seems more like just kind of trying to get a mob going, but okay, we'll call it a rebellion. Despite a last-ditch appeal for mercy in a letter to the queen, he was sentenced to death. It was a stunning reversal of fortune for a man who had once been the queen's favorite. He was beheaded on February 25th, 1601 at the Tower of London, becoming the last person to be executed at the Tower. The execution was private, likely in an attempt to avoid public unrest and possible sympathies for the disgraced Earl. His execution marked the tragic end of a life that had once held so much promise. His fall from grace had been swift and devastating, the result of his own rash actions and disregard for the very queen who had once held him in such high regard. The aftermath of the Essex Rebellion and the execution of Robert Devereux marked a distinct shift in the atmosphere of Elizabeth's court. Elizabeth was deeply affected by his betrayal and his subsequent execution. She was known to have said, an unruly horse must be abated of its provender that he may be the better managed, showing her regret for the extreme pampering that she had given Essex, which she felt had contributed to his arrogance. Despite his fall from grace, he remained a romantic figure in the popular imagination. His impetuous nature and tragic end resonated with the public, and he became the subject of many Elizabethan ballads. His execution, while a demonstration of Elizabeth's authority, also tarnished her image. Some perceived her as a ruthless, aging queen, while others viewed her as a strong leader who had dealt decisively with a threat to the throne. Following his death, Elizabeth's court entered a period of decline, reflecting the queen's own fading health and the absence of a once vibrant and charismatic figure. 
In the wider political scene, the power void left by Essex was quickly filled by his chief political rival, Robert Cecil, who skillfully navigated the treacherous waters of Elizabethan court. Elizabeth's reign ended with her death in 1603, two years after Essex's execution. The transition of power to James VI of Scotland, who would become James I of England, marked the end of the Tudor era and the beginning of the Stuart era. In retrospect, the tumultuous relationship between Elizabeth and Essex provides a captivating glimpse into the complexities of the Elizabethan court. Essex's rise and fall serve as a stark reminder of the volatile nature of royal favor, the perils of unchecked ambition, and the deadly serious game of power politics in Tudor England. And there we have it, our deep dive into the intricate dance of power and passion between Elizabeth I and Robert Devereux, second Earl of Essex. For now, we're going to stop it here. Hop into the Tudor Learning Circle, which is a social network just for Tudor nerds at TudorLearningCircle.com to discuss this and all things Tudor. And remember to check out TudorCon tickets, EnglandCast.com slash TudorCon to come in person, EnglandCast.com slash TudorCon online to come with the streaming ticket. Thanks so much for listening, and I will be back next week. Blow, northern wind, ascend, who may be sweating. Blow, northern wind, blow, blow, blow. He caught the boarding bars. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.